Welcome to the Knowledge Nuggets podcast hosted by John Ingram. And good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to PerfWeb 77, uh, day two. Uh, we're going to be doing the John Ingram Knowledge Nuggets today and focusing on oxygen-free radicals. I'd like to, uh, we're going to scroll some stuff on the bottom of the screen, which is how you uh, reach out to us. There is uh, PerfWeb and, of course, perfusioneducation.com, where you can register for a free account. Uh, you can subscribe on our YouTube channel. Uh, follow us on Facebook and uh, on Twitter. Uh, you can also contact us by uh, emailing contact at perfusioneducation.com. Uh, and you can uh, either suggest some topics. We've gotten several emails like that before. Uh, or you can even be a part of our show. I'm very excited to mention about uh, my good friend Tabby uh, from Thailand that we have done a number of programs for uh, here for her students in Thailand and she is here in the United States and she is going to be joining us uh, in May here in the studio. She's uh, currently up in Rhode Island and she's going to be flying in on a Friday doing a program on Saturday, uh, hopefully Saturday morning uh, so that her students can be watching it in their evening time. And then uh, concluding uh, with a day of fun here in Houston with us and then uh, sending her back to the airport on Sunday so that she could get back for work on Monday. So I'm just going to be really excited to have her do that. Uh, It's a real privilege for for myself uh, to have somebody coming from all the way over there in Thailand that's here in the United States currently. She's not technically coming here directly from Thailand, but it's still going to be a tremendous privilege. So, Tabby, if you're listening, I'm really looking forward to seeing you. Um, here in the studio where you're going to do a program and it's going to be uh, not only for it's going to be not just for your 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 uh, colleagues in Thailand, but it's going to be a, a regular ABCP certified uh, program so that everybody would have an opportunity to watch and participate in that and highlight um, how incredibly talented uh, people from around the world really are. Uh, with that said, please check out our app. Uh, You can go to the Google Play or the App Store. It's the uh, Perfusion and Critical Care app. And we also have an IV rate calculator. Uh, These are MediWeb apps. Uh, If you go to your, like I said, the iTunes Store or the Google Play uh, Store, you can find our app. You can also listen to us on your favorite podcasting uh, program. You can look us up, uh, PerfWeb on whatever service you like to use, Podbeam, uh, Spotify, all those different ones that exist, and we're there. And you can listen to our program. Uh, and we've got, hey, Antoni uh, Skradalovich. I wonder if he's, I wonder if this person's related to, to Magic, our, uh, one of our producers, so our technical guru. Um, but anyway, please reach out to us if you'd like to. And uh, so f- from all of the, uh, tomorrow, uh, I'll just tell you in advance, I'm going to be doing the ABCs of ABG interpretation. Um, and I actually, I was really dreading it actually, uh, but I got into it and I think you're going to really find that exciting. But uh, let me bring in our uh, our uh, host for today's program, the John Ingram Knowledge Nuggets. 
John, good afternoon. How are you? I know you're coming from the hospital in Orlando. Great to see you. Yep, I hope you can hear me okay. We've got a new arrangement on the microphone. You hear me all right? Yeah, we hear you fine. Okay, great, great. Uh, yeah. I am on call, so we hope we can get through this in the next uh, 45 minutes or so, however long it takes. So That'll, be, that'll be great. <laughs> well, hopefully if it's, if it's four minutes or less from from the time uh, from the time you get if the program ends four minutes or less you know the patient has four minutes right okay. so you know <laughs> is that what it is <laughs> so hopefully you know hopefully you'll you'll make it 41 minutes that that'll that'll be 40 that'll give you 45 minutes um i know your topic today is going to be uh oxygen, about oxygen free radicals and understanding them it's uh, it's going to be pretty tough. I can't imagine um, how difficult a task it's going to be to go through a subject like that in 40 or 45 minutes. Um, not an easy one at all, because that is a very complex system. So my hat's mm. off to you for even attempting this. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it, though. Uh, but with that said, I wanted to ask you how things are going at the hospital for you at this point in time with COVID and ECMOs and all of that is, are you still seeing anything or has things returned more or less to what was your historical norm? Yeah, we're a lot closer to that than, we, than we've than we ever been to the historical norm. The um, We just took two uh, patients off uh, yesterday and today. Um, our, we're, we're down to less than half of how many we had at one point and um the the old patients of old with the with the you know aspirations we had an asthma the other day that we haven't seen in an awful long time go on ecmo in fact two um yeah so we're starting to see some some normalcy seemingly to return yeah you know and and that's something that really has me um yeah uh concerned you know, I guess for lack of a better way to say it, but the, uh, I read an article recently and I need to, we need to, I think we're going to be reviewing that article. I think Tammy may be reviewing that article that the number of deaths that occurred during the COVID pandemic hospital overrun and so forth, the number of deaths that occurred from other than COVID causes quadrupled. Hmm. And so you're telling me, and I hear you just say, we had this patient with status asthmaticus um, and we, you know, you put that patient, you hadn't seen one in such a long time and you, you know, which you normally would see those on, I would assume on some norm, with some normality, some, some regularity. Um, not all the time, but you know, would not not infrequently either. Um, common, uh, you get them through their crisis and they get better and they actually do really well. ECMO works on those patients so beautifully. And so yeah, you we tell would, uh, mm -hmm. we would see one about one a month, maybe one every two months. Right. You know, one that 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 actually has to go on ECMO. Right. And you hadn't seen one in 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 two years. Mm -hmm. Well, where At did they? Eighteen months that I can recall. Where did they go? What happened yeah. to those home. patients? <laughs> no, uh, I'm not. They might have gone home, but I don't think we're talking about the same home. We're not talking about mm -hmm. a home with a pitched roof. Um, and, and you know, we're and, seeing mm -hmm. our our cardiogenic shock patients. We're not sure where all mm -hmm. those went because at one point we had 
28 ECMOs on, and I think almost all of them, or maybe all of them were COVID, you know, I mean, um, we had a lot of, you know, flu A and flu B vanished from mm -hmm. the landscape, apparently. Aspirations, you know, or inhalation of some type seemed mm -hmm. to vanish from the landscape. Yeah, you very. Know, we even used to have SARS, you know, we had occasionally a SARS patient and yeah. that vanished from the landscape too. Yeah, now it's, uh, yeah, it's just kind of amazing to me. Well, listen, I understand uh, because of course, you know, you, the way we're doing the uh, programs with you, you send us your slides and all that stuff. And uh, I know you've got 75 slides, so I don't know how you're going to get through it, but I'm turning this over to you because that's, uh, you got a lot to do in a short period of time. Yeah, some of them are, uh, are, are broken up, but you know, last, uh, two weeks ago, I guess there was two or three weeks ago, we did the last topic, which was septic shock. You know, I thought I knew a, a little bit about that and what a, what a huge topic that, that is. And you can't do it justice in, in one lecture. You need a, a multiple lectures. And, and I found out that with oxygen-free radicals, that's the same thing. It uh, is. You can, decide how, you can decide how deeply you want to go into this or how general you want to make it. And I tried to pick a midpoint. I studied a lot of papers and watched a lot of YouTube videos, and some of them are oversimplification, and some of them are so deep you need a degree in chemistry to figure out what's happening. So I tried to find a little bit of a balance so that it kind of makes sense. And uh, by no means could you could you cover this topic in a, in a lecture or two if you really wanted to. It's it's, it's multiple multiple many many ways that oxygen free radicals are formed. There's many ways that they um, react with other things. There's many ways that their antioxidants interact with them. So, uh, and the whole disease process and aging process, we're gonna cover some of that. Vitamin C, okay, that's what yep. I know. Uh, <laughs> uh, and mannitol, vitamin C and mannitol. Um, all right, so let's throw the slides up and get John going. He's got a long way, he's got a lot of work to do. Yeah, it won't be too bad, so I think, but, um, so this is uh, Knowledge Nuggets, as Joe mentioned, uh, episode number 16, I believe. Today, today's March 9th, 2022. And as with all of these presentations, and today also I don't have any disclosures to disclose on, on these topics. And our, our uh, motto here at Knowledge Nuggets is spend a little time and expand your mind. So hopefully we can pick a noteworthy topic and we can focus on some highlighted things that you can really take home with you and hopefully you can actually use them in the clinic tomorrow when you go go back to work the next time and when you see a gold nugget uh, in the corner of the slide these are little uh, throughout the lecture that I inform people that are like look if you want to take something home with you Scott snapshot that slide there's some valuable information uh, to do with this topic on those type of slides and normally we are 12 to 15 minutes, maybe a little longer today. Then I always do something at the end that's a surprise topic. You never know what you're going to get. Something called the gem of the week. That's usually just a few minutes. And then we can follow all that up with panel discussions and questions. And as always, guys, if you've heard these programs before or if it's the first time, you can email me directly at john.ingram at perfweb.us. Email me with questions, comments, and suggestions for future shows, I'd love to hear from you. So on with today's topic, uh, oxygen-free radicals. So let's try by defining 
oxygen-free radicals. And Joe, you know, you can find a lot of ways to define this, believe it or not, but let's do the best we can here with, first of all, they're also known as reactive oxygen species, or ROS. And you're gonna see that used a lot when you read up on oxygen-free radicals. But what they are, they're highly reactive molecules formed from oxygen. Uh, they are chemical species that contain one or more unpaired electrons. That's what you have to remember, is that we're gonna talk about this, that the electron that are normally on oxygen have now become imbalanced, and this makes that a highly reactive molecule. There's many examples of oxygen-free radicals or reactive oxygen species, but here's just a few. Your peroxides, your hydroxyl radicals, superoxides, something called alpha oxygen, there's something called singlet oxygen, which is largely in plants, but this is by no means an all-inclusive list because there are many, many different types of oxygen-free radicals that can, that can occur. So if you look at a normal oxygen molecule there on the left, it has a balanced number of paired electrons. Electrons always want to be in pairs. But if for any reason, and there are many reasons why it can happen, that one of those electrons loses its pair, and it could be more than one, by the way, on the same oxygen molecule. It doesn't just have to be one that loses its pair. But if you see there on the right, that particular uh, electron has lost its pair. That now is what is called an oxygen-free radical. And so this is what, uh, what they are, and, and they're highly reactive. So... Yep, and that's a, a good, good slide to remember right there. So what are oxygen-free radicals? Byproducts of the normal metabolism of oxygen. So when you have all of your oxidative reactions that go on in the cell and, and, and all throughout the body, you have metabolisms of oxygen going on. It's a normal byproduct for them to, to produce oxygen-free radicals. They're, they're intrinsic to cellular functioning and are present at low and stationary levels in our normal cells. Now they do play positive roles in some, uh, in some roles. They have uh, cell signaling and they also function in homeostasis. All free oxygen free radicals are not necessarily harmful. Some, a lot of them actually are beneficial. So let's for example in plants or in vegetables uh, Oxygen-free radicals are involved in metabolic functions such as photoprotection and tolerance to different types of stress. So, also though, they can play and uh, they can cause irreversible damage to the DNA. As a as a as a negative uh, role, they can do many things. But one of them is to cause damage to DNA as they oxidize and modify some cellular components like the cellular membrane, membrane for example, and they pre prevent those cells from performing their original functions. So this suggests that oxygen-free radicals have a dual role. Whether they will act as harmful or protective depends on the balance between the uh, oxygen-free radical production and the disposal of them at the right time and the right place. So we need to keep them in balance. In other words, harm can arise both from the uncontrolled production of and from their inefficient elimination of 
by the antioxidant system that our bodies have. During times of environmental stress, for example, ultraviolet rays or heat exposure or many other things as well, uh, our, our oxygen-free radical levels can increase dramatically. Now, this may in significant damage to cell structures. Cumulatively, this is known as oxidative stress. And we're going to look at oxidative stress a little more closely a little bit later. So the production of oxygen-free radicals is strongly influenced by stress factor responses. And as you can imagine, there are many different types of stress factor responses that cells and, and tissues can undergo. In plants, for example, these factors that increase oxygen-free radical production include drought, salinity, chill, chill temperatures, in defense of pathogens, nutrient deficiency in the soil, metal toxicity, metals in the soil, and ultraviolet B radiation. So you can see just in plants alone how many stressful uh, factors that they can encounter. So for in animals and humans, okay, um, and also in plants, they're generated by exogenous sources such as ionizing radiation, generating irreversible effects in the development of tissues. So understanding free radicals requires a basic knowledge of chemistry, and in honestly, maybe not so basic in, in, some, in some of these reactions. But basically, atoms are surrounded by electrons that orbit the atom in layers called shells, okay? Each shell needs to be filled by a set number of electrons, and usually it's going to be an even number because electrons are always in pairs. But when one shell is full, electrons begin then filling the next shell, the next outer shell. This is just a normal structure of, of, of atoms and molecules. So what causes free radicals? Well, the risk factors that contribute to oxidative stress and free radicals for us as humans are the following. Alcohol consumption, obesity, all types of smoking and use of tobacco products, diets high in fats and sugar, processed foods. Well, what are those right there together? Why are fast foods, you know, you wonder why are fast foods harmful? Well, they're completely high in fats, sugar, salt, and they're entirely processed. All of these things are going to create a higher level of oxygen-free radicals in your system. Any type of contaminants, pollution, and by the way, auto, automobile exhaust, anything in the air that is a contaminant to when you breathe it in is going to generate oxygen-free radicals in your system. Medicines, especially when your liver has to break down these medicines and break down these compounds, a lot of oxygen-free radicals are released. In particular, one that stands out is Tylenol. When your liver breaks down Tylenol or acetaminophen, there's actually an enormous amount of oxygen-free radicals that are released and cause damage to the liver. And I'm sure you've heard this before, Joe, that one of the worst things you can do is try to overdose yourself oh, on Tylenol. Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. Because you die a long, slow death over days and weeks where your liver is absolutely slowly and, and completely destroyed. And that is because of the massive amount 
of oxygen free radicals that your liver is exposed to when breaking down this acetaminophen. So again, pollution, like I said, exposure to pesticides, industrial chemicals, and exposure to radiation, whether it be x-rays or sun or UV light from the sun. Uh, well, I mean, John, I don't mean to interrupt you, but um, can you go back to that previous slide? I mean, we're all screwed, dude. Yeah. I well, mean, I'm really? A, well, well, wait. Here. Well, wait, but wait. I drive a Tesla. There you go. <laughs> so I don't have the car exhaust. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. So there is some good news at the end. So there is a long, exhaustive list of um, oxygen-free radicals. But just to give some people, uh, give you some idea, you start off with oxygen on the left, and then when you have an unpaired electron, all kinds of different combinations, superoxide anion, all your peroxides, hydrogen peroxide, you can have hydroxy radicals, you can have hydroxyl ion, and you can even have them combined with metals like nit nitrogen and so on, uh, uh, nitric oxide and versions of that that are free radicals, and other metals as well, by the way. There's many of them. So now how do they cause damage or harm? Well, in an effort to fill the missing electron in their outer shell, they aggressively uh, react with other molecules in order to steal an electron from that other molecule. And in doing that, Joe, they create another free radical. So this is a cascading um, domino effect that goes on with these oxygen free radicals uh, <coughs> reacting with other molecules. So if this chain reaction continues to happen and is not slowed down or halted, it begins a process where you have enormous numbers of oxygen-free radicals being, uh, uh, pro uh, being produced, and those are attacking tissues. This is now called oxidative stress. Oxidative stress can damage the body cells, leading to a range of diseases. Oxidative stress causes what we basically know as aging. So if you look at this, uh, you have a normal cell there on the left, and then you have it being exposed to a lot of oxygen-free radicals in the middle, and then, an, and then a continual assault of additional oxygen-free radicals without any relief, without any relief or help from an antioxidant, you basically have a cell that is basically dying and dead and damaged from an onslaught of oxygen-free radicals known as oxidative stress. So this one occurs when there's an imbalance between the oxygen-free radicals and the body's ability to neutralize these oxygen-free radicals. And there is a balance that goes on in our system. And we do have plenty of naturally occurring antioxidants. And normally they are in balance. But when they get out of balance and the oxygen-free radicals become abundant, this leads to tissue damage known as oxidative stress. So the effects of oxidative stress are not always harmful, surprisingly. Oxidative stress from physical activity, for example, such as exercise, is beneficial as the free radicals that are formed during physical activity regulate tissue growth and stimulate further production of the antioxidants. So in physical activity, it causes you to produce an equal and opposite number of antioxidants. 
so that the free radicals that you're forming during physical activity do not cause harm. In fact, they are beneficial because a certain number of these oxygen-free radicals stimulate muscle growth and things like that, which is why you're, you may be exercising. Mild oxidative stress also protects the body from diseases and infections. So white blood cells, when they encounter a pathogen, which we talked about this two weeks ago in, in septic shock, white blood cells, when they encounter a pathogen, generate oxygen-free radicals. And those oxygen-free radicals are very uh, uh, potent and, and productive against harming and killing these pathogens. Unfortunately, though, these oxygen-free radicals are indiscriminate, and there's collateral damage due to our healthy tissues. So this is why when you have an overabundance of an inflammatory response and an overabundance of reactive white blood cells, they produce so much particles uh, that this is what causes so much harm to our normal tissues. One of the things. So there's three primary ways that uh, there's three primary ways that oxidative stress cause damage to the body cells. You have um, you have uh, damage to the DNA directly. You have damage to our proteins, and you have damage to the lipids. Primarily, the lipids are in the cell walls of our tissues, and all of this is going to result in what we know as aging. So some of these diseases that are caused, and there's a longer list than this, chronic inflammation, that, that are, these are what are caused by oxidative stress. Neurogenerative diseases, cancer is, is a big um, implication of oxidative stress. Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, diabetes, asthma, and a whole host of our cardiovascular ones like hypertension, stroke, and atherosclerosis. You also have chronic fatigue syndrome and aging. Isn't chronic fatigue syndrome, isn't chronic fatigue syndrome laziness? Yes, <laughs> caused by oxidative stress. Mm -hmm. So now there was something in 1956 called the free radical theory of aging. And in this theory, it, it was a theory that said that free radicals are what breaks down cells over time. As the body ages, it loses its ability to fight the effects of free radicals. Perhaps we produce less antioxidants, different things along those lines, but we lose our ability to fight off all these free radicals that are being produced, either naturally or from exogenous influences. So the result is more circulating free radicals in our system, more oxidative stress, more damage to cells, which leads to degenerative processes as well as our normal aging process. And so if you see the difference between these two ladies here, basically it's time. Um, the one on the left, let's just say she's approximately 20, and perhaps the one on the right is approximately 40. The biggest difference is the one on the right has had an additional 20 years of circulating free radicals in her system that not all of them can be counteracted by our antioxidant uh, uh, system, and a lot of them are produced by exogenous sources where our antioxidant system is overwhelmed, and therefore she suffers from aging um, symptoms such as wrinkles and gray hair. 
So how do we reduce them? Well, the answer is antioxidants. Oxygen-carrying molecules with an uneven of electrons are, as I said, called free radicals. This uneven number allows them to react with other molecules and cause large chain chemical reactions causing more free radicals, free radicals, as I mentioned before. Now, the antioxidants on molecules Oh, I got a phone call. Okay, I got a phone call. Yeah, mm -hmm. I saw you on the back now. Yeah. You hear me now, right? Yeah, we got okay. you, John. Now, anti now, antioxidants are molecules that can donate electrons to a free radical without making themselves unstable at the same time. And, and they cause free radicals to stabilize and become less reactive. So the great thing about an antioxidant is it can donate an electron without itself becoming a free radical. The body cells naturally produce free radicals during the metabolic processes. It's part of oxidation and your oxidative uh, chemical reactions. Cells also antioxidants that neutralize these free radicals, and the body is generally able to manage a balance between the both. So all those things we were talking about earlier that cause free radicals, Joe, generally our body is able to balance them with an equal and opposite amount of antioxidants. <laughs> so if you look at what an antioxidant is, you see a free radical on the left where it's, it's lost that one electron, so it's highly reactive. An antioxidant comes along, it's able to donate one of its electrons and therefore eliminate or counteract the, uh, the free radical, and it no longer is going to want to react with another cell. So how do we um, get some free uh, antioxidants in our system? Well, they're very present in berries, uh, uh, fruits. They're also present in soy and soy products and carrots, to name a few. Now, no single antioxidant can combat the effects of every free radical. They are, they are relatively specific. Just as free radicals have different effects in different areas of the body, because they are relatively specific also, every antioxidant behaves differently due to its own chemical properties. So antioxidants and food supplements, do they work? Thousands of chemicals can act as antioxidants. Vitamins C and E, and, and also A, by the way, and glutathione, beta carotene, and plant estrogens called phytoestrogens are among the many antioxidants that cancel out the effects of free radicals. Many foods are rich in antioxidants, as I said, berries, citrus fruits, and many other fruits are rich in vitamin C, while carrots have a high beta carotene content Soybeans are also high in phytoestrogens. The ready availability of antioxidants in food has inspired some health experts to advise uh, diets rich in antioxidants. The antioxidant theory of aging also led many companies to push the sales of antioxidant supplements, which we see on the TV now all the time. Balance of nature. So the question is, the research on antioxidants, however, is mixed. Most research shows few or no benefits, believe it or not. Mm. 
a 2010 study that looked at antioxidant supplementation for the prevention of prostate cancer found no benefits whatsoever. And remember, cancer is believed to be heavily caused by antioxidants. A 2012 study found that antioxidants did not lower the risk of lung cancer. Some research has even found that supplementation with antioxidants may be harmful, particularly if people take more than the recommended daily allowance of them. A few studies have found benefits associated with antioxidant use, but with relatively modest results. A 2007 study, for, for instance, found that long-term use of beta-carotene could modestly reduce the risk of age-related problems and symptoms. So now, this week's episode of Gem of the Week. I hope you love this one, Joe. It's going to be the shockwave IVL device, intravascular lithotripsy. Uh, the shockwave IVL, it's called. In 2021, the USDA cleared the shockwave IVL intravascular lithotripsy system for the treatment of severely calcified coronary artery plaques. It was previously approved for peripheral uh, disease and peripheral uh, artery um, uh, plaques. This device uses a balloon to deliver sonic pressure waves that pass through soft arterial tissue to preferentially disrupt calcified plaque and optimize stent placement. And we're going to take a look at this. It holds the potential to displace rotational and orbital atherectomy devices that have been the market standard for most of these lesions. Priced significantly higher, though, than the existing atherectomy systems currently reimbursed by Medicare and Medicaid. And this has been a limiting factor. Uh, the operators of these and the, and the users of these are eager to use it for the coronaries, but reimbursement has basically kept the dampening on it and, it, and it's tending to, to make hospitals ration its use. I know that's the case at our facility. So this is what it looks like. Um, it's a small device. You hook it up and there's a catheter that's actually fed into the coronary artery. I think we have a couple short videos that explain this extremely well. This is a what it might look like in the coronary artery. And to understand how this works, it's just a two-minute video that I have for you that uh, made by the company that explains it extremely well. The shockwave intravascular lithotripsy system creates pulsatile sonic pressure waves to modify calcium in a safe manner. It consists of a compact rechargeable generator, a simple connector cable, and an intuitive catheter, which houses an array of lithotripsy emitters enclosed in an integrated balloon. Through the localized delivery of lithotripsy, the IVL system minimizes trauma, optimizes outcomes, and simplifies procedures. In a standard technique, the IVL catheter is advanced and placed at the lesion using marker bands under angiography. With the integrated balloon expanded to subnominal pressure of four atmospheres by a mixed saline and contrast solution, the fluid within the fully opposed balloon acts as a coupler to facilitate efficient energy transfer of the sonic pressure waves into the vessel wall to reach the calcium. 
the generator produces three kilovolts of energy that travels through the connector cable and catheter to the lithotripsy emitters once per second. While other treatments can't differentiate between calcium and soft tissue, acoustic pressure waves pass through soft tissue to impact both intimal and medial calcium. With emitters along the length of the balloon, a localized field effect is created. A small electrical discharge at the emitters vaporizes the fluid within the balloon to create a rapidly expanding bubble that generates the sonic pressure waves and then collapses within a few microseconds. When the waves impact the calcium at nearly 50 atmospheres, they create a series of microfractures. After the calcium has been fractured, and trauma to the surrounding soft tissue has been minimized, the vessel becomes more compliant. Once lithotripsy has been completed, the operator can proceed with the preferred treatment strategy to optimize outcomes. By making the treatment of calcified lesions more predictable, IVL is simplifying complex procedures. Sounds like, sounds like, so, uh, sounds like we're, 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 we're fracking. Yeah, so what you can do then is put the stent in and it's incredibly more successful. Once you've done that, you do that, then you put your stent in and you can have very much wider opening vessels once you have a stent in because much easier to displace that fractured and, and granulized calcium from a one hard block that it was. This is showing you that it's harmless to, 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 to soft tissue. Play that one again real quick, David. Or this one. Let's see, here it's here popping. There you go. Yeah, it's we, we heard. soft tissue. Yeah. We heard it. And then this one, this one here is just going to show you um, if it's the next here. There you go. Yeah, it's completely harmless to... Uh, to soft tissues, and you can hear the electrical shock waves coming through. Sound waves is what they really end up being. And the next one here is going to show you how it how it breaks up the calcium. It's just a short one, 20 seconds also. So that's calcium around the catheter. Yeah, so um, I have no uh, communications with this company or I don't know the rep, no one's called me. I just saw this on my own. In fact, I saw this used in our own cath lab and I thought it was remarkable. I did not heard of this device. Have you heard of this device? Absolutely not. Yeah, this is actually out there. Uh, why it's not being used more, I'm not sure. I think the expense... Um, because when our cardiologist used it, he actually had to physically make a phone call to the CEO to, to, to ask if it was okay to use it. Because I guess it would be a cost impact to the hospital. Yeah, I could see that. But it's really interesting. I love these kinds of sessions because we all learn about something that, you know, we never had heard about before. And, you know, and I do think that there's some, you know, there's, there's you know, pumping water right into a hole and using 
energy to 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 sound waves to crack the ground in order to get mm-hmm. the oil to spill into the reservoir so you can extract it very similar you know so what will somebody look at this and think well geez i didn't know about that and i didn't know you could do that and then they think well maybe something else will come out of it so we don't know i think that's very interesting um i my compliments to you on a on a very complex topic and the your ability to simplify it because you did a really good job of doing that uh, because it is oh. an extremely complex. I learned some things, so I appreciate it very much. I wanted to add uh, one <clears throat> thing in there, and that is we talk so much about, when we talk about oxygen free radicals, most of the time in perfusion, we talk about reperfusion injury, right? And right. I didn't actually have that on there, but I wanted to talk about that for a minute. One of the, what, what causes oxygen free radicals, as I said early in the lecture, was stresses, any type of stress as well. Ischemia is is a severe stress on the tissues, right? Because it's uh, you're starving them of oxygen. So ischemia produces oxygen-free radicals. Let's say you have an occlusion in the coronary artery, for example, and that distal to the occlusion is, is, is ischemic and it's producing oxygen-free radicals. And then we are able to remove that occlusion and then all of a sudden we reestablish arterialized blood flow. So now you have all these oxygen-free radicals that are being produced from the ischemia, but now all of a sudden you introduce a whole lot more oxygen to that area. And those oxygen-free radicals now are looking to steal electrons from those new oxygen molecules coming in, and they create a whole bunch more oxygen-free radicals. And you and okay. you have depleted any antioxidant effect you may have already had, so you're not gonna have that homeostasis which is really everything is in homeostasis you know, our entire systems are our body is constantly trying to kill itself and keep itself alive mm-hmm. simultaneously but i was very um struck <clears throat> by your data on uh these uh these uh, various nutraceuticals that claim to reduce aging and help you sleep and uh help you be able to skateboard and you can you know garden and everything and you take the you your or 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 the one where you have pain and you take this product and it's advertised by a lot of different people you know celebrities and you know they couldn't even get out of bed and after just two weeks they're walking again and they're able to enjoy their life and uh of course, I'm sure there's, you know, for some people, there's probably a very powerful placebo effect, uh, which can be even more powerful than an actual medication or the effect of a drug can be. Um, of course, that's nothing, just drugs in our own body, you know, creating the same thing. Everything is a drug. There's no such thing as a drug-free solution to something. Everything mm. is a drug. Every, it's all right. chemicals. That's what it is, whether it's extracted from plants. It, I mean, there's a tremendous number of drugs, medications extracted from plants, and you have nutraceuticals that come from plants that aren't categorized as, they're not, they're not classified, or we don't view them as drugs, but they're the exact same thing. Um, yeah, whether it's synthetically created or naturally created, you know, I mean... Um, it's uh they say the greatest drug in the world is oxygen right because if if without oxygen you've got nothing but you give somebody oxygen it cures a whole lot of things (laughs) yeah right exactly uh, or or worse when you have an event like a uh 
a, uh, a drowning or something like that. You know, now cold drowning is kind of a different issue. But, you know, if you can get circulation back without increasing their, you don't want to give them a PO2 of 500. You want to keep the oxygen level as low as you possibly can and reestablish that circulation and slowly start increasing that oxygenation. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, oxygen is great. We need it. Without it, we die. But when we don't have it and then we're giving it back, it can itself be what kills you. So it's such a, it's such a complex uh, set of, th I don't fully understand it. I just know yeah, that it's well, extremely um, complex. You would think if you have an ischemic tissue and you immediately reinfuse uh, re it with oxygen, that that would cure everything. But it, but, but it has a paradox because it turns out because of the oxygen free radicals and other things that are created in that area, uh, and then you introduce oxygen, which is badly needed. Now you have a flurry of oxygen free radicals that are created, you know? So, and among kind. Other, uh, Reperfusion <laughs> injury is, is a multiple of things, but that's a big one that, that was helps explain, you know, mm -hmm. why reperfusion injury happens because the oxygen free radicals go more crazy at the initial rush. Right. And there's a balance on that, right? It depends on <laughs> yeah. how long the ischemia has existed. So the yeah. shorter that period of time, the less, the, the, the shorter your ischemic period, the better you get faster by the reintroduction of the, uh, the, the, the flow with the oxygen in it, blood flow with oxygen in it or oxygen, whatever, however you're going to get it, uh, breathing it or otherwise. Whereas the longer that goes, but prior to death from anoxia, the more right. damage you have from the reintroduction of that oxygen. So there is that you know, how long has this leg not had blood flow to it? And, you know, before we go reestablishing blood flow to it, which could be the very thing that really knocks the patient over the edge. And then all of that, those metabolites that get flushed back in and uh, the shock that you can get from that is yet a different issue altogether. I realize that's kind of getting off track here of what well, we're talking about, but it's sort of, I, I, I guess I was just well, making a larger point. One thing that I, that I <clears throat> didn't miss so much when I researched this is that we have an equal production um, in our bodies automatically of antioxidants. You know, mm -hmm. we produce uh, free radicals, but we have an equal and opposite for the most part antioxidant production to counteract that, like you said about homeostasis. So over the years and aging over the years, because the, the, the oxygen free radicals are relatively specific in the damage they're doing and the antioxidants that we produce are relatively specific on the, on the free radicals that they can counteract, there's gonna be imbalances that happen here and there, maybe even just for short periods of time. So over time, we're exposed to a little bit more uh, free radicals over here one day, and a little bit more on, on these other type over here one day, just due to being out in the sun all day, or maybe we need some physical exercise. So over time, we have these aging effects because we can't constantly be in perfect balance with the antioxidants to keep up with all the oxygen free radicals that we produce ourselves and then exogenously with you know, fast foods and, and yeah. pollutants we breathe in and 
ultraviolet rays and you know so what you're telling me john is that our li our lives are a delicate balance of oxygen free radicals trying to kill us mm -hmm. and antioxidants trying to keep the oxygen free radicals from doing that over time the oxygen free radicals always win so right. so it's just how soon will they win if something else untoward occurs that it's no longer a natural process but that is going to happen the oxygen free radicals will win if we give them enough time well you know we're putting these things like uh not so great foods high in fat high in sugar in our system we're breathing in smoke at a in a crowded uh you know bar room or, or wherever and 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 while while we're able to produce antioxidants the input of oxygen free radicals is is you know always coming in and we as we age we get worse at producing our own antioxidants mm -hmm. right which is right. which is kind of a, a a a downward slope but you know the thing about ingesting all these antioxidants and let me tell you something i take quite a few because i've read the things and it you need antioxidants you don't need them in your stomach you need them in your system mm -hmm. right that's why that's why you know but the, but by the way the vitamins a c and e and glutathione by the way are helpful and, and you should take those and those will help you produce more antioxidants but all these other ones and there's dozens of them you know green tea and a million things your stomach probably destroys a large mm -hmm. benefit before it reaches your bloodstream <clears throat> is my guess well so i view it a different way okay I am, <clears throat> do I think that if you, um, like, like coldies, do I think coldies works? Uh, you get a cold and you take, uh, I, I guess it's zinc and whatever zinc, else is yeah. in it. Uh, do I think it works? Yeah, I think it does. I think it, I think it does help in the, you know, those acute phases boost some levels of something for a short period of time. But I don't think, and of course, and I respect the fact that you take all of those things and that, that a lot of people do. I don't have any, I don't have any problem with you doing it. I don't. I think that if you just, you're, if you just don't make it harder for your own body, don't eat McDonald's, don't eat Burger King, don't eat all of the trash food, have some, you know, have some, 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 uh, 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 you know, discipline when it comes to what you're eating to not stimulate that, mm -hmm. that, that oxygen radical production that your body's natural antioxidant will help. So, you know, don't smoke unless you're drinking, in which case you have to smoke. If I'm drinking, <laughs> I have to smoke. Um, but, you know, all of those things. So I think that it's, in the way I view it, it's more of the negative uh, input that right. creates the problem versus these various different supplements that you can take. And look, everybody's right. looking for the fountain of youth. Everybody wants to live forever, um, you know, or at least and they want to live. They want to continue to have purposeful, meaningful, uh, productive life, enjoyable life. Um, and, uh, you know, and continue to have that as long as they possibly can. And, 
you know, so that's a market, you know, and, and it's a, a lot of people truly believe in, in taking those things. You do. Um, you know, well, I, I simply um, don't. No, the, the, the vitamins is mostly what I take, A, C, and E. Basically, I just take higher doses. Yeah. But the, um, but the number one thing when you read about these studies about uh, oxygen-free radicals and antioxidants, what it boils down to is if you just eat a plentiful diet of fruits and vegetables, you know, and have a pretty big focus on that, your body's ability to produce antioxidants is a hundredfold better than taking supplemental antioxidants. Mm -hmm. But is that because, is that because you're eating things that are high in antioxidant or is it because you're not eating things that suppress antioxidation uh, your, your process or your production of anti well, your own endogenous production of antioxidants which is it or both well well it's both because the the fruits and berries and the vegetables are high in the natural antioxidants that our body can use the fast foods don't have any of that so it's a double whammy and they're taking in high salt sugar and by the way, processed foods are terrific about producing anti, uh, free radicals, I'm sorry, in your system. So when, if you take someone who smokes, eats a lot of fast food and drinks, and you take an, a, a twin of theirs who does none of those things, and fast forward 40 years, you're going to see an aging difference in the person who didn't do smoking, drinking, and fast food all day long compared to the twin who did. Big time yes. aging difference. And it's all because of free radicals largely. Yes, but I'm also going to point out that it's not okay to get a big giant sundae after your 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 uh your big giant double double okay with 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 bacon and jalapeno cheddar jack okay all fried up or gr whatever they do with it dripping delicious right you can't take that Sunday that you're going to have for dessert and put a blueberry on the top and believe that that's going to be <laughs> balancing each other out, right? Absolutely. I'm getting I'm getting booze. I'm getting booze from the gallery over. The audience is turning against me. I really have you know, dude, what the hell? I don't know if I put it on the list, Joe, but actually fried fried anything fried fruit the whole process of frying that that itself is also a high product producer of free radicals so everything you like is probably bad for you right <laughs> but if it's fried blueberries it should be go. a zero balance that's how I, that's what i'm trying to say oh, okay i got you <laughs> all right john thank you you want to tell us about your next show the next show is going to be uh what is it i think it's a urine a urine on bypass is enough enough. Is that the next one? It is. It is. Does uh, no. Yours is urine output on CPB. When is enough enough? And that's going to be a complicated question to answer. Yeah, it is. I agree with you 100. percent You know, and and yeah, I, I know. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that because you know, how many times do we say, hey, we're making any urine? And if yeah. we are great, if we're not, we think we're doing great if we are, but <laughs> if we're making no urine, oh, that's okay. That's all right. It'll come back. 
it's amazing that I'm looking forward to uh, I'm looking forward to hearing why that occurs right um, we all have our we, we I think I think there's a lot of theories a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of reasons I think some of them are misconceptions uh, sometimes I don't think we know of course how we measure AKI but I'm looking forward to uh, hearing the lecture and then uh, as I mentioned tomorrow I'm doing the ABCs of ABGs I think that's going to be fun I'm going to enjoy that a lot um, mm -hmm. One of the things I'm going to say during my lecture is how aggravated I get when I call somebody and say, how's the patient's acid base uh, status? And the person that I'm talking to says, oh, the pH is 7.27. Th that's all they say. <laughs> well, what the hell does that mean? I don't know. What am I supposed to do with that information? I need something. I need at least one other thing. <laughs> at least to know what that really means, right? So, yeah, I'm going to go over that. It's going to be very basic. It's going to be very, it's going to be somewhat rudimentary, um, but it's going to be fun. And uh, yeah, you know I think what? there'll you be some provocative go, thoughts. You don't go to too many meetings where you get a good review of something basic. A lot of times some old light bulbs that had gone out on something come back on when you do reviews like that. Very possible, people. very possible. Well, I'm looking forward to it. So what'd you think of the new studio? I don't think you had a chance to see it, but we took the- to uh, check it out. We took the carpet out um, mm. here in here, and uh, we went with a uh, polished concrete, a stained polished concrete. Mm. Um, I think uh, David's gonna zoom out maybe on that, uh, on that camera. You might see a little bit. Um, you notice our screens in the back back here. You're going to see that here momentarily. Uh, we put some new stuff up, and he's developing some new backgrounds for this. We're also going to be able to show surgery videos off of this now four-panel video wall. Um, we uh, yeah, rotated our cameras on either side of me that you see, brought, mm -hmm. the, uh, brought the towers in, um, you, of course, we have the podium, as you can see there on that side uh, for giving standing lectures you've seen before. We have a green screen over here, uh, which I think can, oh. he can, I don't know if he can rotate it around to it or not. There you go. Oh. So we have a green screen. We've added two additional cameras, um, and they are called PTZ cameras. So David can actually move the cameras remotely from his seat over there, pan, tilt, and zoom. Uh, mm -hmm. So when we do simulations, of course, I think you saw we did the, I don't know if you saw it or not, on the program that I did, we're going to be adding a lot of those coming up. I have a new uh, patient hemodynamic monitoring simulation, a new ventilator simulator. Uh, we have the ECMO simulator from Eigenflow, um, able to do a lot of different things, whether it be uh, chatter, whether it be... Uh, arterial uh, or outflow obstruction, delta P increase across your membrane, um, that kind of a thing you can do, hypovolemia, um, uh, various different things like that. Now on it by itself, <clears throat> the, uh, it, it, as a standalone, you, you can only do so much with the eigenflow. It's a good device, it, it does very well because you can really change the circuit to make the circuit do what you want. But you really have to have a good hemodynamic monitor uh, simulator that can marry to it. And mm -hmm. we, uh, we got that, which we can show on all the panels. So the software for our streaming has also changed. 
um, David and Magic put together a uh, brand new, I mean, they built the computer from just buying the parts and pieces and the graphics cards and all of that kind of stuff. And what's the name of the software we use? VMix. VMix is the software. And mm. what did you say with the people that were using that? <clears throat> but like that, but that one you mentioned to me. Yeah, so it's a vMix system, and uh, you know, ev you know, Bill O'Reilly. You know, even though he can't, he gets confused between a a loofah and a falafel. Um, nothing, nothing. I don't have anything against the guy, but I mean, I think he acted like an idiot. Um, for a smart guy, such a smart guy, ruined his career. But he, his new thing is, you know, his program that he does, he uses that same vMix system. So, you know, he's way more, he's way higher than we are, and we're using that same technology, which enables us to do a lot of different things and uh, uh, makes David's job a lot easier. Because, I mean, he, he's yeah. back there doing a lot of this stuff on his own. He's just incredibly talented, but probably should be three or four people back there doing what he's able to do and that software lets you do it that's what really helps yeah and I was talking to him about that it sounded like it was really an incredible upgrade from the uh you did this over the christmas and new year's holidays you went yes your whole studio and, and yes. really did a lot of things it's amazing took everything in here apart i mean dude we had i had i found we we actually took 300 feet of cable that we were having to use for various different things and we're able to reduce it uh, that much. That's how much cabling that previous system required that we don't need anymore. A lot of the stuff is Bluetooth now, um, you know, just technology changes and we're trying to change with it to make the viewing experience. Of course, you see the new microphones we got, the sound quality is better. When I turn my head to talk to somebody or this way, people, you don't fade in and out. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it just makes the experience for the viewer much, much better. And hopefully that will translate into more people wanting to watch and more people wanting to participate, which I want to mention again, we are looking for uh, faculty members. We're looking for uh, presenters where it could be case report. It could be anything you want it to be. Let us know. And as long as it fits in with what we're doing, mean, give me give me the suggestion. There's there's a 90 plus percent chance I'm going to think this is a really good idea because uh, that's sort of how I am. You know, I, I, I love to hear about things, new things, cases, how you manage something. Uh, could be anything. Could be basic sciences that, uh, you know, if there's a virologist out there that wants to talk about the origin of viruses. I would love to have you on this program because I'll tell you what, I can't understand. It's complicated. And I think somebody who can simplify it, just like you did today, John, taking a complex subject and simplify it, simplifying it so that I can understand it is what makes some, it, what shows when somebody really knows what they're talking about is when they can take a very complex system and get somebody who doesn't really understand it to understand it. That's a, that's the ultimate compliment, right? I guess so. Yeah, I mean, this was a very com you could get so crazy with this when you look into the chemical reactions of and how many different ones there are and what they do. But I didn't feel like that level of depth was productive for our listening audience. I wanted them to understand a large amount of that, but then really what's going on and, and what you can do to, you know, improve your health 
and also what we do as perfusionists that cause these things. And maybe we can uh, do some things to reduce them as well, you know? Yeah, well, that's just it. You know, our program is more of a clinical-based program. It's not a, a deep-in-the-weed science program. That's not what we do. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, we, I mean, I, we're not going to... We're not going to understand that. I've been to a lot of meetings where, where, where somebody gets up and they start talking about these really abs, you know, just, just mm -hmm. abstract concepts and thoughts and chemical mm -hmm. formulas and stuff, which nobody in the audience really understands, and they probably don't understand it either. They're just parroting it. Um, and what does that mean to us from a from a clinical application perspective. I think that right. what I mean, I'm mostly interested in in our world is the in the trench, day-to-day, -day, what can I use in my practice? How does this benefit my patient in the immediate moment? All those other things are for the really smart people that are in the labs, um, and they can figure all that out. And it's important stuff. Don't it, I mean, clearly it's important. Uh, it just isn't germane to what we do every day, and it's yeah. not what, uh, and I don't understand it. You need to understand, uh, you know, a decent amount about what's going on under the hood so that when you know what goes wrong, you understand, you know, how to fix things and, and why things are happening. You understand why, why things are happening. You understand more about what to do or what not to do. But there's a point where you can go so, so deep that you're not helping yourself. You're just confusing yourself, and you're not going to remember it anyway. Correct. So there's a level you have to find, a level of knowledge and understanding on whatever it is your your field is that you have to be able to use and work with. And um, and over time, as you digest that level of knowledge, you may on your own want to go deeper and deeper for your own benefit. But that's something you kind of embark on on your own, you know, for yeah. your own interest. Hey, are you using the uh, are you guys using the Elsa meter? You know, I did a talk. Yeah, Tammy and I did a talk yesterday on uh, that very topic on the Elsa meter, and uh, you know it's it, you know it's it is going to become a standard. I don't really under understand the reason why people don't use it, but did you guys ever? I know that there was some pushback, people not thinking that it yeah. was a necessary tool. I think it's highly necessary, very effective, very meaningful. Uh, and produces information that y you can infer from other things, but those other things can be can be complicated by other things. So your inference may or may not be right. This is just an absolute. It's a number and uh, FDA approved. So what's your what's your thoughts on that? I mean, I think it's coming. I think uh, you know. I think it's coming. There's so much merits to it. We we haven't been able to. Uh, get it in here but that's because the right person with the with the right amount of influence hasn't uh hasn't encountered it in a way that 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 is no matter of time before that happens and conversations have come up but uh it's just a matter of the right person with the right amount of influence saying why don't we have this here and we've come close to it a couple of times but it hasn't quite happened but i think it's going to happen i think one day you're right i think it's going to be nearly every ECMO program because well, how many, it's an how many vital piece of information. How many ECMOs do you have running at this moment that are, let's just uh, say, let's just say just VV? Uh, 13. 13 VV? Mm -hmm. Okay, so why don't we, why don't, and I'll come do it. 
Um, and I don't have any skin in the game. I don't make any money, so you can tell them that. I don't make, I make zero, right? Um, I wouldn't be doing that for this purpose. I'd be doing it for the opportunity to collaborate with you to write a little paper. But um, come down there with the meter, do your VV ECMO patients, and see over the course of time what percentage of those patients showed either high recirculation, which required intervention, or not. And whether or not your method for making that determination was, in fact, as good or better than using that device. Yeah, I mean, just being here a day or two with that many patients, you'd get, a, you'd get an earful of information, I'm sure. I think you so, know, too. So. I would love to come down there and give it a try. That's for sure. All right, John. You know, um, I have a thought about that. I'll talk to you off air. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, it's great talking to you. I have truly enjoyed it. I want to thank our audience. Uh, uh, you know, we, we keep growing in audience, which I'm really happy about. And I want to thank everybody. I think we didn't get any good questions today, but that's okay. Um, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Um, but uh, we're looking forward to seeing you on your next program, John. And of course, welcome to join us on our other programs that we do that are scheduled. Yeah. Uh, and uh, if you want to join in tomorrow, you're certainly welcome to do so. It should be fun. I'll give it a shot. I'll give it a shot. Thanks, buddy. See you later. And everybody Hello. out there in uh, web world, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate your uh, confidence in our programming and look forward to seeing you tomorrow for Perf Web 77 Day 3. Be safe.